Professor Martin Kilduff, thank you very much indeed for talking to Judge Business School podcast series today. What do we mean when we talk about social aspects of job design? You've written a new paper on social network perspectives. Yes, by social aspects of job design, um, I'm referring to the interpersonal relationships between colleagues in the workplace as well as with the important clients and customers and others outside of the workplace and the ways in which those relationships affect the motivation, um, the persistence with which people pursue their, uh, their goals in the workplace and the other aspects that would affect their performance and um, just their willingness to put in long hours and work really hard. Does that mean that that actually we're not just motivated by the self and our own progression through the corporation, but actually that the the friends, the colleagues, the social goals of the organisation are important to our happiness in the job as well, our our fulfilment in the job? Yes, uh, that's right. Um, It does vary between people. Not everybody is a social creature. You know, some people are quite happy as uh, night security guards, perhaps and with no interaction whatsoever. But for most of us, our jobs are indeed dealing with people these days. There's much less work by oneself or just working in a factory. And so these social aspects are increasingly important. Yes. Um, and, and so they're increasingly important, but you've, you've studied them, uh, Professor yeah. Kildarf. So how extensive are these structures of relationships with people in and outside of the organisation concerned? I mean, how far do they reach? Are they long? Are they deep? Right. Well, you could start with the whole process of getting a job. In order to get a job in the first place, you have to find out about it. And it turns out that um, our ability to find out even about the vacancies depends upon the the social structures that we have. So those of us who are depending very closely on our friends and family, well, it turns out our friends and family don't really know any more than we do. So your chances of finding out about a a job that would suit you depends on the extent to which you have what are called weak ties, that is, uh, acquaintances, uh, that you you talk to strangers. Um, The job market is... Uh, is famously inefficient. That is, it doesn't do a good job of matching up vacancies with people looking for jobs. So finding out about the job depends upon the kind of relationships you have. Then preparing for, let's say you find out about the job, then you want to send in your resume. Um, If you have a friend inside the organization, it turns out that they will help you tailor your presentation. Uh, so that you seem more suited for the job. And then if in the interview itself, they'll give you some tips about how, what things to talk about and what not to talk about. When it comes to negotiating with uh, the person about the job, let's say you're offered the job, you'll get information from inside about how far to push the bargaining and so on. So you'll end up with a better package. Um, once you get in the job, then you have a mentor, you have some social relations Uh, there that will be more likely to uh, help you adjust and make help you succeed so the whole it's really a a process starting before you even enter the organization and uh, once you're inside the organization um, then the, the the question is is this a place where you feel at home are the people like you there um there's a there's an article called the people make the place and so the the culture of the organization 
um, the ways in which it organizes itself and sees itself depends upon who is inside and whether those people are like you or whether they make you feel at home and whether it's an exciting, interesting and sort of fun place to be. And so, so all of those things define whether we stay in a job, whether we get the job, and, and also how we progress in the job. You talk mm-hmm. about something called workflow networks. What mm-hmm. are these? Well, the workflow network is the set of people that you have to interact with in order to do your job. So, you know, some people you just like to hang out with, have a chat, but there are people in the organization that you you have to interact with on a regular basis in order to get your work done. So these could be your subordinates or key colleagues whom you pass work on to or receive work from. In a, in a hospital, for example, it could be you know the patient comes in and is moved from one place to another and different people have to work on the patient. And so those specialists, uh, nurses, doctors, would have to interact with each other around the task, which would be, in that case, uh, helping the patient get well, for example. And so these networks and this social network perspective are very much about a holistic good in an organisation, aren't they? They're the things that encourage us and motivate us. Could you actually have something that was, you know, in terms of the social network, if you don't fit, that might mean that you just decide to to up sticks and go? Yes, if um, you were isolated in the network and you weren't getting along with people or you saw your job very much in terms of how it was described, perhaps the tasks you specifically have to do, and you ignored the fact that in order to get your work done, you actually depend upon a lot of other people. And if you're not aware of that, then your work would definitely suffer. And so after some time, you you get very frustrated. If you are under the illusion that your job is your own and really you sit in your office and make decisions and it doesn't really depend upon the workflow or the other colleagues that you have or or indeed people outside the organization who are uh, depending upon your efforts for their welfare. And so therefore, if we now go to the managerial side of of human resources and relationships in the workplace, does it mean that, that if we know more about the social network perspectives, we can help shape job descriptions, for instance, might it actually feed in to the organisational structure of the corporation? Yes, in some rather unexpected ways, because um, one of the things we know is that people left to themselves will drift towards others who are very much like them, whether on surface things like gender and age and uh, ethnicity and religion, but also on the values. So we'll, we'll tend to drift towards those who share our values. That's fine, except that what that means is you're going to have more and more cliques, more and more clustering, and perhaps more and more isolated groups forming in organizations with little contact between them. So if you're standing back and looking at the whole, the big picture as a manager, you'd be a bit concerned about that sort of default trend, and you'd definitely want to try to mix it up and put people in contexts where perhaps they feel a little uncomfortable, where they're with people that they don't normally interact with. And that's where they'll get new information, and that will help coordinate across the organization, because what you don't want is just isolated clusters developing within the organization with very little communication between them, so that the organization as a whole 
uh, people in it have the feeling, oh, this is a great place to work. You know, we, I see my friends every day. But stepping back, what you see are a lack of coordination and a lack of synergies and, uh, and new ideas being transferred. So the job description can help overcome those kind of um, uh, relationships dominating the organisation in the sense that if there, there is an organisational goal that these social no- networks and individuals subscribe to, then you're more li- likely to achieve the corporation's goal. That's a good question. Well, how much of this you could actually build into the job description itself? That might be a little difficult because some of the, the tasks don't involve... Well, and also we expect you every Thursday afternoon to wander around and, and talk to people who've got nothing. Well, I was thinking of Richard so, Branson, who yeah. puts a picture of himself on the screensaver in the morning, So you know, and, and there's some words that are supposed to motivate you. Now, that mm. actually helps to create a social network within that Branson group. Well, that's true. I mean, um, here, here at the Judge Business School, every Friday morning we have a coffee hour and we all just mill around. And actually, if you don't go to it, you, you miss out on opportunities to talk to people you don't normally talk to. Maybe you get emails from them. But that's not this kind of live, vital uh, contact that you actually need. So you learn things from people you wouldn't normally contact in the workflow. So the workflow is rather defined. And that's probably what's going to show up in the job description. You also talk about something called amusing others. Does that mean if we have a bit of a laugh around the coffee uh, machine or with our colleagues at Judge uh, Coffee Hour on a Friday morning that we're more likely to enjoy our work and stay with the job? I think so, yes. And um, there is particular evidence for this. With people who are doing very banal, sort of boring jobs, this can be, in fact, the major motivation because if you're there eight hours or nine hours a day, you know, on some machine where you've been working there for year after year after year, actually the social, the company, whether they're amusing or whether or not, is going to make it all the difference. But that's true for the rest of us too. Yes. I mean, it's, you know, life is stressful. And, um, and if you're with people whom you enjoy being with, then you're likely to want to get up in the morning and get to work. I mean, that's your social community. You also use concepts like embeddedness, structure, social utility. Are these theories of social networks taking us sort of back to the future? Because it all seems to be a a much friendlier, less aggressive, less competitive workplace just by simply mentioning the word social networks. Yes. um, Well, for most of us now, we spend more time in in our workplace than we do at home or with our neighbours or in our communities. And so... Um, a lot of these communal sorts of activities are now in the workplace, where before they were perhaps more, more you know, in our communities and so on. So these kinds of social activities um, are, are very important in the sense that um, it's, it, these are like second families. And there is, there is some evidence that the social capital of the UK or the United States has been in a precipitous decline. Uh, over the years, over about the last 30, 40 years, with with massive movements of people and so on. Um, Some of this has to do with the fact that more and more of us are in the workplace. So I think that's one reason we see more emphasis on 
social networks in the workplace and our embeddedness in those kinds of networks. So it's definitely about the group, not the individual in the future. And I am thinking of things like the Indian diaspora, where they're saying that by 2020, one in four of the global workforce are going to be Indian. That must also be about you know, the social group's uh, ability, flexibility, and group think that you just get up, you, know, you go anywhere in the world, and you get a job. I mean, that's mm. a social network. Well, that's true, yeah. I mean, people have worldwide social networks um, con- connecting back to the people they, they, were, they grew up with and they knew in school, even though they may be thousands of miles away. And they're recruiting those people into their, into their companies. You know, many of those people are starting companies. Um, the group, I mean, a lot of the network research that I do is looking at individuals in the, in the web of relationships, so um, they are in groups, but they're also individuals who may be in networks that have uh, gaps in them so that not everybody in your network is networked uh, with each other, in which case you are spanning across social groups and getting diverse information. So in that sense, it's not the old cohesive group. It's more that you're a broker in the network moving between groups, and there are performance benefits, uh, reputation problems. There are both benefits and and drawbacks for that kind of role where you are um, spanning between groups as well. So so does that mean, you know, if if there are sort of um, outcomes for the organization or the corporations, can managers help to encourage these concepts you know, j- just by, for instance, saying, well, we, you know, we need a coffee morning on a Friday where everybody gets together. Well, simple things like that help to demotivate uh, the organization and these social networks. Yes, they can do several different things um, along the lines you just suggested. They can also put people in touch with, for example, those who are beneficiaries of their efforts, which is not something we normally think about, but, um, you know, firefighters, nurses, doctors, and so on. If you put if, uh, and other teachers, and if you uh, put them in touch with people who've benefited, some, that can itself be very motivating. It's a way of extending the network. You can also try to encourage people to move out of their cohesive groups and, um, and put them in task forces or just encourage them. I, I hate to say put them in task forces, but encourage activities which will bring people in touch with others that they normally wouldn't be in touch with in order to promote a kind of coordination across the organization. So there's different things managers can do, even if they're not studying you know, network charts and they, we, they, they don't know who all our friends are and so on, because that is sometimes a mistaken initiative that some managers do. They start asking everybody, well, can you please list all your friends so that I have a complete picture of the social network? And many of us will start resisting that. So there's heavy-handed and there's more light-hearted ways in which managers can intervene. So they have to tread carefully. These relationships are below the table, not necessarily on the table, and we need to let them be. I think they do have to tread carefully. I have heard of some stories where managers are trying to collect data about everybody's friendship relations and so on within the organization, which is the kind of thing that researchers do, but we always promise not to hand over all this information to the management, because otherwise people wouldn't trust us. So there is a fine line. Um, on the other hand, managers are using, they are encouraging people to recruit their friends and acquaintances. They often give bonuses if you bring people in. And that can have 
benefits as well as unanticipated consequences where the organization becomes more and more similar to the people who are already there. And that can be, that can be slightly um, dangerous too in terms of promoting a, um, a kind of a groupthink. So, so there are dangers as well as benefits. Martin Kilduff, thank you very much indeed for talking to Judge Business School podcast series today. Thank you very much, Bonnie.